All right. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the Scuttlebutt Podcast. I'm Rich Mellon. Today, I have a guest from Minnesota, and Greg Johnson is, is his name. Greg um, either blames me or or credits me with, with his li- change in lifestyle. <laughs> I'm not sure which, but you know, you said in your introductory email that you even had a miniature donkey named Gary, and I thought, well, that's a step too far. <laughs> it is. It is, but we've even scaled back from that because we had a girlfriend for him named Kathy. So my dad was named Gary and my mom is Kathy. Oh. So, <laughs> yep. It was funny with that. Mom didn't like it too much, but it was just like high school. Every time I walked out of the house, they'd both yell at me. So it was like reliving my youth every time I left the house. <laughs> I've never I've never had a donkey, but I, I have a daughter-in-law that is just crazy about donkeys, especially miniature donkeys. She wants miniature donkeys so bad. Yeah, they're the coolest thing. Are they? Yeah. yeah. Yep. All the girls. So we have four daughters. They go in there and sit and he just comes and puts his head on their shoulders and he just lays there and he's the most loving thing. But a coyote comes around. He's the orneriest thing in the world. Is that a fact? Yeah. Is that a fact? Yeah. And I will correct you on one thing. I What's am that? a Norwegian, so it's easily confused. Greg Thompson, not Johnson. It's oh, nor- It's sorry. interchangeable. No I'm worries. Sorry. <laughs> well, what's funny is when we get into the story of how we started watching you, we didn't call you Rich and Sandy. I kept messing up the name. So every night it'd be like, hey, you want to watch Rick and Cindy? So <laughs> it's just it's payback is what it is. Uh, well, no, my day, my day all day long is is dealing with people and you know you're you're talking with people nonstop and and uh you know you're you're bouncing all these these names in your head and you're doing emails and all this kind of stuff. And, and I, I'm actually impressed with, with how bad my memory is getting at my age and everything that, that I screwed up as, as infrequently as I do, but I'm sorry. Yeah. I, I was just talking to a, a, another fellow tonight, Greg Johnson, who's a, who's a gunsmith. <laughs> no worries. It's, you know, I have such a common name. I don't know that I've ever bought a gun and left with it the same day because I get flagged for common name. So I always have to go back and pick it up a day or two later. Oh, cool. Okay. So you guys do have a, a, a type of registration there then? Yep, absolutely. Yep. If you buy, if you purchase a long gun, um, you need to fill out your information and they do a background check. And if it comes back clear, you can leave with it that day. But if you just happen to have a name like Greg Thompson and there's a ton of you around and they can't clearly identify you, you have to wait until you clear and then you can come back and get it once once you're cleared. So that's a state law then in Minnesota? That's federal. Oh, that's federal. Okay. Yep. We have a card um, and it's like a like your plastic driver's card and it is yep. my uh, possession and acquisition license and I flop it down on the, on the countertop and I walk out with the gun every time. Because yeah, yeah, I have a permit. Yeah, (laughs) yep, I have a permit to carry, so I can I can register for a U pin, but it's more of a pain in the butt than it'll actually benefit me. So okay, it's uh, yeah, I just I just know that I can give my money, but I may not be excited for a day or two. (laughs) That's dangerous too. Going back to a gun a gun store like that, that's dangerous because in in between you have time to think about. Well, you know that uh, old forty five seventy sitting over in the corner there looked like it needed a friend. Or (laughs) Uh, it might just be a giant marketing ploy because I am a marketing person's dream. So you never know; they might just have my number. (laughs) You're a fellow with money, a marketing marketing person's dream. (laughs) I don't know about how much money I have, but I don't mind getting rid of what I do acquire. That's the problem. Well, 
Yeah. My <laughs> wife, who is a banker, okay, and she was a banker for years and years, and um, she actually got very high up in the Royal Bank in Canada, which is the largest bank in Canada. And she ended up getting out of what she actually enjoyed doing because she was no longer facing the clients. She was now taking care of, of people, right? And yep. uh, I forget how many... At the end there, she was doing all of Northern Alberta and some of Northern BC, and it was like $1.4 billion that she had under management. And and the people, she she went through like 10 people a year, and it was just a nonstop search all the time. So she didn't care for that a lot. And I guess now three years ago, it'd be, she she retired from that and went and got all, all of her uh, accreditation and, and um, uh, certificates and everything, and now she's a wealth manager. So... She looks at me and she said, you know, we're kind of yin and yang. Your money was meant to circulate and I, I'm meant to collect it. Yeah. <laughs> you can always make more, right? You can well, always yeah. make more. She don't, don't, she said to me once, and it was the most brilliant thing I ever I ever heard. And and it kind of made validated my life a lot better was that everybody knows how much money they have in their bank account, but none of us knows how much time we got left. Exactly. You know, so I I kind of like that. Uh, And it's so true. It's so true. I mean, I don't know. I was probably, I don't know, I would maybe 30. But by the time a man grows a brain, right? Around 30. (laughs) (laughs) I'm still waiting. Oh, (laughs) it'll get there. Don't worry. Because all of a sudden you you realize that what are you waiting for? Because this isn't practice, right? This is yeah. life. You might as you might as well be enjoy, enjoying it. I mean, because everybody says that you know life is uh, is too short to be unhappy. That it's way too damn long too. You know, oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. But you reached out to me and you said that you wanted to talk about uh, how we influenced you into uh, transitioning, and you started out with. Uh, how you started even watching our show? You, you you said you started with forensic files and then morphed into us. That that's quite a leap. Well, absolutely. So, <laughs> forensic files. If you've never watched it, the the narrator has like the perfect voice to fall asleep to. Now you'd oh. think that you dream about all this random stuff like being murdered, but no, you just it just uh, it just it just blanks out. But all of a sudden, we watched every episode of Forensic Files, and we're like, oh crap. Now, what do we do? Well, Amanda and I are both just avid outdoorsmen. So we were searching the, the bowels of the interweb. And we're like, what's this trapping ink? So we started watching it. And that became our nighttime ritual. And like you said, I haven't grown or like I agreed. I haven't grown a brain yet. So I kept messing up your names. So every night we go to bed and we're like, hey, you want to watch Rick and Cindy? So we still <laughs> jokingly refer to you guys as Rick and Cindy. So that's that's where that came from. But wait a minute, wait a minute. You were watching us in bed? <laughs> going to sleep. Yes, oh, come on. Too much information. <laughs> still clothed. Uh, let's just to be clear. Yes, still clothed. You, you um, wouldn't believe if you if you watched our show, you, you seen when we had the, made the beaver blanket that and then we did an intro and an extra <laughs> in the bed. And my wife was so embarrassed. She couldn't believe that she was actually in bed on TV. I was like, I was pretty casual, but you know. <laughs> absolutely. But once again, I mean, it's 
if you can't make fun of yourself or have fun with yourself, it becomes a very long existence. So yeah. good for her for doing that and getting comfortable with it. And you know, that that's, that's it. But we just started watching you. And so I grew up a dairy farm kid, right? So dad was always too busy to do anything. Well, he would do a lot of things, but the one thing he'd never do was plan. Right. So like you'd be 20 below and it's like, well, let's go cut wood. It's like, shouldn't we have our wood like stacked up? No. So we never had time to do anything. So my only trapping growing up was gophers. I would trap gophers in the summer. Cause then you'd take them up to the neighbor, take the feet up and get a buck, put them in a snooze can and go, go get a couple bucks for the feet that you turn in. So that was my little monet monetization plan as a kid. Um, <laughs> More but kids learned, of, learned about, about currency uh, trapping than anywhere else, right? <laughs> absolutely. Well, and usefulness of, of waste, right? That Copenhagen can, I hauled more gopher feet in Copenhagen cans than you could imagine. So who knew they were such a good storage device? Um, mm -hmm. But so that's the, that's all the trapping I had. Like I had aspirations. I We would go deer hunting, but dad was a Vietnam vet and he didn't have the good experience. So like he would just go deer hunting because he knew that I wanted to. He hated every minute of it, but he loved every minute that he was doing it with me. So like hunting was, I enjoyed it, but it was something that I had to pull him to. So I had very few opportunities. And once again, we were farmers. So we just go out a few hours a year. So f f fast forward, you know, get the opportunities, get into the big woods, you know, start hunting more, start fishing more, start adventuring more. And then when Amanda and I came together, she wanted to do the same thing. So we start watching you and her dad had 700 acres up by Grand Rapids, Minnesota uh, on the Prairie River. So we're like, hey, it's it's uh, Martin and Fisher season. Let's go trap Martin and Fisher. We didn't know a damn thing. So we watched a YouTube video, figured out how to make boxes because we watched you. You're supposed to hang boxes on the tree. That's how you catch these things, right? We hang boxes on the tree. Nothing climbs a tree. Couldn't figure it out. That's what. That's the first time I reached out to you. You may remember I asked. I'm like, hey, we get a lot of interest, but nothing is climbing the tree. So then you instruct me, put it on the ground. So just reaching out to you, we put it on the ground. We started catching Martin and Fisher. And it's like, oh, but we didn't know any better. We had no mentors. We had nothing, but we had your videos. And then the, by just the graceful nature that you have, the response from you to help us continue this. So fast forward to COVID, we went uh, up to Alaska. We went up to Anchorage. So that's our place. That's where we That's where we vacation. And we went to the kickoff of the Iditarod and the Alaska Fur Rondi. Have you ever been to the Fur Rendezvous? Not in Alaska, nope. Oh, so great time, right? So they've got the fair on the water where the farmer's market is. They've got the fur auction, all the goings on. It's awesome. So it was Amanda, myself, and our youngest, who was 12 at the time. And all of a sudden, we're watching this uh, We're watching this links up for bid. And all of a sudden, they're like, sold. And all of a sudden, our little 12-year-old goes up there. She had her own bidder number. She bought her own links, and she comes back. So we're like, there's something here. So... And I've got pictures. I'll send you. I've actually got the pictures up. I can share the screen. It's hilarious. She had it and she slept with it. It's in bed with her. And it's this, it's longer than her. So it, oh it's my. pretty funny. Yeah. But flying back, we flew through Seattle and Seattle was a hot spot for COVID at the time. So we got isolated on her dad's farm. So 
we weren't sick. We just couldn't go anywhere because the older kids in the cities where we have a blended family, they kept getting flagged. They were around people. So there was like a six weeks period where we were living on the farm, just adventuring where, where um, we wanted, when we wanted. And we're like, kids are old enough. Let's start planning this. So we started looking for, looking for a place and it had to have place for animals because we'll get into that, but it had to have acreage and access to trapping, hunting, and fishing. So just simply watching your videos and understanding what can be done and then adjusting to how to do it at a smaller scale and how to do it where you live. We bought a place in the middle of nowhere. We bought a log house on 80 acres. We have 14 miles behind us until the next road in uh, in the middle of Aiken County, which uh, 14 miles and three feet of elevation, like I told you before, but <laughs> it's all it's all state land. We just have this giant playground where now we, you know, wake up in the morning, go check footholds. We've got snares. Right before I came in, I had to go in. We've got uh, livestock. The dogs were going nuts. There was a pack of yotes running around going crazy just outside. And uh, but none of this would have happened if we didn't fall in love with trapping and start getting out. That first Martin season, we would work and then we'd drive three hours north, check and drive back. There were times we were getting back at three in the morning and going to work at eight o'clock. So, but that's how addicted we got and that's how fun it was. So when I reached out, I just, because what triggered me was on a podcast, you asked, you know, who are some of your mentors? And I just wanted to take the time to let you know, like you guys actually are affecting people in a positive way. And you drove us to be the happiest that we've been because there's no stress up here. Lionel Lakes, Minnesota, and the outer rim of the cities is a lot different than Palisade, Minnesota. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I understand that. And I understand when I, I can watch the, the light come up in your eyes when you talk about you've got 14 miles behind you where, where, and you're on the edge of, uh, of the the uh, woods and, and the, the yotes are out, out with the animals. I mean, that's my everyday life. I mean, that, yeah. and I understand that. And, you know, we go off on trips. We, we, we travel a bit, uh, you know, you end up in the city for you know, for a couple of weeks or whatever, and you just can't wait to get back. And you can just, as you, as you drive down, you know, the driveway and that you can feel the stress bleed right out of you. The next step is in, is in when we go North to the, to the big trap line. And I mean, and you're in the middle of nowhere, like, you know, yeah. right? and it's, it's just, it's the next step up. Right. But yeah, I understand very much what, what you're talking about. Isn't it strange that, our world got so far away from this, this, which is obviously so, so imprinted in our, in our human psyche and our, in our common human history, you know, that, yeah. that everybody that experiences it feels it. Yeah. You know, it, no. it, it's there. It's something that we all have. Yep. And it's, it's even for me, it's even more bizarre because I grew up a farm kid, right? Farm kid, 30, 40 miles uh, east of Fargo, right? Right on highway 10. So Lake country, but once again, flat farm ground. I couldn't wait to get off the farm. That's all I wanted to do because we were dairy farmers. Milk in the morning, milk at night. You're late for everything. Yeah. Whenever anything, you go to the lake, anything's getting good. You're going back home to milk. So I could not wait to leave. But then, you know, like you said, when you hit 30, you you, you get a brain. So I have kids. I'm you know, I'm trying to figure out like, how do I teach the kids the work habits that I got growing up on the farm? How do I make them relevant when we go back home? 
I found myself wanting and yearning to get back to the farm. And then, so I, I worked in big tech. So Epicor, Oracle, Salesforce, Microsoft, I'm a sales guy. You made fun of me for if I'd shut up, we'd actually start the podcast. There's a reason <laughs> I talk for a living. Um, Perfect. The, uh, yeah. The, uh, <laughs> the, um, I got an opportunity to get back into agriculture. So now, you know, I had access to land back home and I started associating with all the people I grew up with. Right. So I left the farm to learn tech. And then all of a sudden I got the opportunity to take 20 years of learning and bring it back to the people that I grew up with. And it just solidified the fact that that's where I wanted to be, who I wanted to be around. And that's what I wanted to be associated with. So even today, thank God, Starlink internet, because mm -hmm. other, otherwise I like HughesNet was it like 12 <laughs> megs a second. There's no way you have video on, on anything, but Starlink, heck we have five people streaming stuff all the time where, you know, constantly on meetings, it, it just made this a reality. And man, I tell you, you have a tough meeting, you have a tough day. You just throw on the snowshoes, go for a walk and like, like, like life's good. You sort a lot of stuff out when you do that, don't you? Absolutely. Like, I have right now with what we've got left going, uh, basically, uh, uh, links will be over here in, in two weeks. And, uh, so Martin Fisher are done. I've got otter. I'm just starting to do a little bit of beaver, that kind of thing. So I don't have a, a really, a really tough check out there. I can do it on, you know, a, a whole Saturday kind of thing and half a Sunday. But when I get out there on Friday, uh, you know, Friday night, we get there, we get to the cabin in the dark and I get, get the generator going and I get, get Sandy gets the fire going and, and every once her and the dogs are settled down, then I just, I'm gone and I don't have to be, but you should see some of the spectacular pictures you get, oh. he, 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 you know, the moonlight. <laughs> I, I have hit three full moons in a row now with, with a clear starlit night, the whole works and just the, the, the pictures just beyond belief. It's kind of weird when you talk about, you know, like we, uh, us influencing people, we get, cause we do get a lot of questions about it. And it, I'm, I'm 63 now we've been married coming on 44 years and it's really people talk about how you know what's the, what's the secret to success well you can't really compare how what we've been through to to what what people are facing today it's it's no. so very different you know when we got married jesus back in 77 you know like we, we got, when we got married it was um it, it was just you, you got up every day you went to work um you're you're going to get a, a home of some sort or you know and nobody was into big mortgages or into big houses or anything like that. Like, I mean, if you could buy a, a thousand square foot house, that was a big deal. I mean, most of us lived in, in mobile homes to begin with. We did, That's what we started in. And uh, you just, you never, you weren't unhappy. You weren't planning for a, a holiday or anything else. You just knew you're going to get up and go to work every day. And, you know, in between you, you raised kids. And I, I look back and I think it's kind of lucky we didn't have any money, but we did have time. And so, yeah. you know, with our, our three kids, I mean, we, we spent all the time with our kids, you know, and, and that, that was the glory of youth, you know, like now in, you know, eight, nine o'clock at night rolls around and I want to sit down and do nothing. And, you know, back then you're still, would still be going hard till 10, 11 o'clock at night with the kids. Right. You know, and just yeah. doing stuff. Right. Yeah. It was just a very different time. And to compare it to, to, to today, 
there's so many more pressures today to have the right car, the right clothes, the right house, all that kind of stuff. We didn't have any of that. None of that pressure. Yeah. You just wanted a home, you know? Uh, <laughs> I remember the... And, and do you have uh, basements in houses there or is that not a common yes. thing? In, yes. No, we, we have basements. Yep. Okay. It's very common in the North because I mean, it's, it's the cheapest uh, area to heat, right? Because it's half yeah, buried absolutely. in the dirt and, and everything else. But I remember my, my parents' basement was still unfinished. It was still concrete walls. You know, when I, when uh, I left home and got married, that kind of stuff, you know? And, and I mean, and you just, you knew at 18, you were leaving home. You know, and at 18, yeah. you're, you're, you're out on your own. I mean, that was the adult thing you were doing. And, and the world has just changed so much from then, right? Absolutely. Uh, it's, well, it's the, it's the immediacy. You know, I attribute the downfall, when I say downfall, the softening of society, to when kids didn't have to wait till Saturday morning to watch cartoons because there was nothing to look forward to. They, they're like, you think of it, that was a valuable lesson. Like there was something to look forward to that you worked through for every week and your reward was popping out of bed early, sitting down, having cereal and watching Saturday morning cartoons because that's the only time they were available. And once the Cartoon Chant Network came on, once there was, you know, I never had, I had cable as a, as a kid until 19 years old. I didn't have cable. We had our four channels. You know, it, it wasn't there. The immediacy of everything has just wrecked the appreciation of so much, which is a question I have for you because, you know, you just talked about the three perfect full moons, right? How do you balance with trying to capture content with making certain that you appreciate the moment first before you have to grab a camera before you, you, you have to capture that moment in order to share it in order to drive content. How, how, how do you, how do you ensure that you're appreciating it as much as everyone else is? I'll confess. Not always. I, I don't, I, I don't always get the job done. Um, and it's just because I'm human and I, I get lost in the moment too. But that's awesome. That's the that's the answer you want to hear, right? Because so many people don't do that. You get to the end of your journey and the camera comes out. You go to a concert and everyone's watching it through a phone. Yeah. Like there's no real moments anymore. No, no, no. You're right. And I mean, uh, we're a lot of uh, I mean, we do a lot of work and, and the camera adds a lot of work. No, no question about it. But there's still stuff happens that there's just no time for a camera. I mean, yeah. uh last uh friday i uh i, I did something I've, for, for the second time in my life i shot a lynx like i mean i have no idea how many lynx i've killed in snares and traps but i've shot two in my life and, I, and one was was last week and it was driving along and and you know you must have links there, right? You're far enough north for links. No, we don't have links. No, we have okay. to have we have to have safety mechanisms on our cubby boxes to account for links. But I haven't seen the links in years. I, I remember we had one around the farm when I was a kid, but that was forty years ago. Okay, uh, we don't see them. We have bobcats. Okay, well, same same thing. Way way I'm on the snowmobile and way way ahead of me. All of a sudden, I, I see something out of my trail, right? And I. Just I just just on a bit of a rise. I go down through a dip and I come back up again and I watch and all of a sudden it sits right down on its bum on the trail. I know immediately it's a cat because yeah. dogs like canines don't do that. Canines yeah. would never sit down on, on a road or if you're if you're going down a road or whatever and you see something up, up there that that's sitting on its bum, it's a cat every time. And I knew it was a cat. And 
just so happened I had a I had a 22 with me and and I, I drove up to it and didn't get very far from it and it bounced off into the bush and then it stood there under a tree looking at me so <laughs> in uh, here in uh Alberta in Canada we I can't have ammunition in that gun and it's an old beater 22 I've got and it's got a tube magazine so I got to get it out of the <laughs> <laughs> I got to get it out of uh, out of the the colpin that I've got wired to the side of the of the machine, and I get it out, and and then the the twist end on the on the magazine is 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 uh, welded together, and I get it twisted off. Cat's still sitting there, and I, finally I, I grab a handful of of ammunition out of this bag I have underneath the seat. <laughs> I drop three in, and and I shoot, and I hadn't shut the the machine off yet because if you shut the machine off, you scare them. Okay, as long as that machine is running, I, I don't know why. I mean, it's with anything. If you're shooting yeah. a chicken or, or or anything, if you want to scare it, turn turn, turn the machine off. So I, I and I shot, and in my, you know, I'm I'm getting very deaf, and plus the background noise and all. That, I hear this little, and I was like, "What happened? I had bad ammunition or what?" And and he jumps and and he takes a few more steps, and so I load it and and I go again, and he jumps and, he, and off he goes. And I, I'm not sure what's happened and you know because like, it didn't sound right to me anyway turns out both shots were good and, and i'd shot it through the ribs because you don't you i mean a lot of people would want to shoot them in the head because it's inst instantaneous but through the ribs is a, is a lung shot kills them just about as quick and you're not dealing with blood okay yeah. when, when you're dealing with a fine fur like uh like martin or 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 like a lynx uh, that blood's a terrible thing to get to try and take care of so but that that's just you know there was no time to set up a camera or anything else. I mean, I did film it in the, after the fact. And um, we just don't do any BS. Like our show has not got any forced drama yeah. in it or any garbage. Um, you know, there's times when machines fall through the ice or I go swimming or what, whatever. And I mean, there's time to talk about afterwards, but at the moment it's, it's kind of serious, you know, like we, yeah. we, we are, it's been my life. Okay been my life for a very very long time and i'm pretty casual with it and so one day it'll kill me because i am i am pretty casual with it but just don't you know people get excited about wolves and coyotes and lynx and they could all kill you yeah they could i just i'm not not as you know we have cougars and grizzly bears and black bears and all that stuff out on the on the line and it just it's just not so i don't know the the immediacy or the or the 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 uh I don't, I'm not uh, overwhelmed by it. I've just got used to it. It's just part of my life. Yeah. Cold in that I'm a little bit more cognizant of because it can kill pretty quickly. And yeah. I've had some, some bad, you know, go arounds that way. But, uh, you know, for a lot of people that, you know, they, they get a hold of you and they want to talk and they just sort of, how do you sleep at night when there's, there's bears and that kind of stuff around? I was like, just, you know, usually without clothes on, but you know, <laughs> <laughs> Watching Rick and Cindy. Rick and Cindy. Oh yeah, no, 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 no. Come on now. I don't need that. You know that's that's funny you mention that because um, we're really lucky because we have fan. We you know we're in a good spot. We have family with good spots, and our friends have really good spots as well. So we can run multiple trap lines and get into different areas. But uh, my best friend has a place up on the North Shore of Superior um up by up by Lutzen and he's he's just an avid hiker he can't sit still and the other day he went out 
no pack, nothing. And he came across, he's got a picture about a 200 pound wolf in his front yard. And he came across that wolf and three others out on the trail. And they wouldn't like, they wouldn't yield. Like he tried, yelled, like they wanted, they weren't yielding. He just backed out and left. And it's like, I got to see what happened. I got to, the next day they urinated, they defecated, they marked everywhere that he was, but they're not going to do anything to you. It's, I mean, it's when, when you're in the woods and without a grizzly bear or without a cougar, I mean, your number's up if something's going to take you out. I mean, that's the the odds of that happening. So it's part of it is, is that, I mean, a grizzly bear is going to take after you just because he's always been the man. Yeah. And if he feels like it, he's going to come stomp your butt, you know, because uh, he's always been the man. There's never been uh, a black bear is actually yeah, black bear kills a lot more people than, than grizzly do. And because black bear will get predatory, which means yeah. they want to eat you. And yeah. grizzly bear just isn't that way. Uh, yeah. Cougar. You know, riding the horses or, or or what's been happening around here, people on pedal bikes in the mountains. You know, it's just, really? I guess it's something about the profiler or the way it happens or whatever. You know, I mean, cats are, you know how you can flash a laser light past a cat and it reacts right away. Well, you come by on a bike fast like that, they react right away and that kind yeah, of stuff. But they don't think. Yeah. I got a whole new affinity for bears, though, because we got honeybees. I've never had bees. Amanda's had bees. And we had an electric fence up and that wasn't even a yield sign. Like hives were gone. We're like, shit, now what do we do? So we had uh five foot metal cattle gates. So we put metal cattle gates around it and the thing wouldn't climb over, but I had a camera out there cause I wanted to see what was going on. And this thing would reach through and it couldn't, and then it would just sit down, sit right on its haunches, just sit there and kind of shake its head. And it would sit there for hours. It would try something and then it would sit back down and just to be able to observe the curiosity and just the intelligence that they had, I'm like, this is like, this is really intriguing and very interesting to me just to be able to, to witness this. It cost us a couple hives of honey, but uh, <laughs> now, now we know if we start with cattle gates, they'll stay away. Well, you need to, um, you need to talk to uh, like my son-in-law and they, they ranch and they have a lot of electric fences there. And he taught me how to do a double, uh, a double ground. And he says, yeah. like, you, you can weld with it over the, the <laughs> setup, the, the setup that I, that I ended up getting, cause it's solar. Cause I, you know, I don't have power out there, so it's gotta be solar and everything else. He said, uh, it's good for like 12 kilometers or like eight miles of, of, of yeah. is what it's good for. And, it, and it's going, you know, 30 feet by 30 feet by 30 feet. So it gets pretty exciting if they touch it, right? <laughs> absolutely yeah the, du no, the but, double ground is, is is what's important but uh that's the fascinating part about uh both your lifestyle as as homesteaders and and being trappers is that that's as close as you ever come to to like having a conversation with those animals and and you you actually you spend time with them and observing them and, and learning from them at times of years when nobody else is even in the bush yeah you know and yeah, that that's and, that's one of the biggest benefits. And, you know, even for people, you know, even foraging, right? Mushrooms, like going, anytime you take a walk, you can essentially come back with something to consume, right? Whether it's, you're going to fry up fiddlehead ferns, whether you find scapes, whether it's morel season, chicken, hen, whatever it may be, right? Chanterelles. There, there's always something that you can, like, scouting throughout the years, awesome, right? But you're constantly looking at the at the ground for game trails. Make it purposeful, right? So yeah. see, and 
the more involved and the more in tune you get, the more excited you get about all of this because everything just starts making sense. And you can't wait till the next time you get out there because you don't know what you're going to find. Whether you find a burl, whether you find a, a crap load of chaga. I mean, I have a whole, you know, 50 pounds of chaga behind me that I need to process just from going out walking. Yeah. Like it's, there's so many different things you can, I mean, trapping is one thing, right? And there's, to me, there's nothing better because even deer hunting, it wasn't the kill that excited me. It was the science behind it, figuring out where are they going to be? Why are they going to be there? When are they going to be there? How do I get myself in the right position? Now I take that to how do I get an animal to go into three to seven inches of the world where I want them to go? Yep. It's, it's, it, there's nothing more challenging and more exciting. You got 14 miles and, up, up, up behind the cabin there and you want to put his foot in an area that big. Absolutely. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah, I know. Um, I know. I, I know. Tom. Before we go any further though, tell me about your bees. How many bees do you have? Uh, we had six hives. And okay. so just so you know, to set the, set the stage here, Amanda is the brains. I'm the Sherpa. So she plans, I couldn't tell you a number. I, I, I just lift heavy things and do yeah. the manual labor. So I know we had Build. six. I do a lot of building. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So, and you know, and that's one thing And the honey it's, uh, so it's over our grass hay fields, right? So, but we have bird's foot, tree foil, Indian paintbrushes, clover. It was the lightest, best honey that we've ever had. So we're excited oh. to do it again. Yeah. And then yeah. we are upgrading. We've got a, it's only like a 16 by 40 some greenhouse, but we're going to all uh, hydroponics just because oh. we've got tons of, we got tons of land, but we don't have much soil. I mean, we're in between the Mississippi River and the Willow River and essentially everything was washed away except the clay. So it's, and when, when you start breaking it down, it is so economical just to get set up with what you need, like 700 bucks to get your blocks, to get your water, to get everything. But then you never have to weed. You always have the right nutrition. You're not bending down. Life becomes easy. And what got me hooked on it is, you know, being the nice thing about the cities is you're minutes away from everything, right? You want fresh greens. You want fresh vegetables. Everything is right there. We got a, it's called uh, lettuce, uh, lettuce grow. It's a hydroponics tower. So we've got 30 varieties of lettuce, uh, tomatoes, uh, sugar snap peas growing at any time. So what I'm a carnivore. I grew up, I hate vegetables. I do not like salads. By having that readily available and that fresh, I find myself wanting more of it. So by doing that, now we're like, eh, let's just turn the greenhouse into some a variety of that and make it easy because we're both still working. Amanda's an outdoor writer, so she's part of the uh, OWAA, and oh, cool. she writes. Yep, so she she writes for a bunch of companies and and uh, and uh, and a bunch of uh, publications, and we're still busy. So we don't like weeding uh, a greenhouse. We don't have time for that. It's got to be done, and that was the whole thing. Like once we decided we wanted to try to live this lifestyle, you know what? I'm going to put out a hundred traps. Holy shit. <laughs> Putting them out is one thing. Going back and minding them is another. And, and when you, and that doesn't sound like much to you, but when you're going two hours to just drop your wheeler off and go check, drop your sled off and go check, and then you're going four hours the other way, like 
you have no time. Your, your car turns into the office and it becomes work and it becomes stressful. Yep. So that's why I understand, like the big thing is when, when you try to determine the economy of scale of what you can do, you need to be really mindful because what you decided to do for joy can become work very rapidly. And, you know, if, if you're not truly invested in it and you don't truly enjoy it, it'd be very easy to set it down and not get back into it the next year. Oh, you know, and that's very t- true of the TV program. And I mean, I started it to defend the life. Uh, and I still believe in, in, in that, but there are times when I was like, you know, it's, it's another coyote and I already have 20 coyote on, on, on tape or whatever. And I just, take it easy and enjoy life right because yep. it, it's a lot of work there, there's no question that i mean it, it, it's a lot of work um you're talking about your honey and it being so clear and light we, we yeah. our, our honey this year was just like was like water clear and really uh, yeah i was just out checking my, my bees we have four hives or had four hives i think three of them are still alive um I, i'm not sure about the one they were uh uh you know i went we had a hell of a bad winter early, like around Christmas and that a lot of 40 below and all that. Everybody says they, they, they'll winter well and I insulated the heck out of them, but we'll see how it goes anyway. It's um, it's fascinating though. I, I We do the greenhouse. I have a giant garden and I just set it up. You're talking about weeding. I just set it up so that my my uh, garden tractor with the rototiller goes in between every row. <laughs> <laughs> so weeding isn't so bad <laughs> yeah and, and, we, and we have wonderful wonderful soil here um so no 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 question there but i really want to uh, get that information about uh about your your tower of lettuce there or whatever whatever you call it because uh when you have it you know when we were kids we picked berries and and we tended gardens and all that and and I was kind of like you. When I got away from the farm, it was like I'm, ne- I'm never gonna. I could starve to death in a in a field of berries, never bend over, yeah. pick one up. And and now it's you, you, I don't know whether it's nostalgia or part timers or what it is, but it's God, I I I earn for yearn for those days again, you know. And and uh, we've uh, we've we've really enjoyed it. We've we've had a great year as far as uh, getting in, you know, getting a lot of berries and and stuff and processing and. And it's so funny because it's just Sandy and I, you know, and, yeah. and we, you know, it, it's not as much food, food as you think, but man, there's a lot of people love CS coming because we usually have a, we're, we're, we're bringing a box full of, uh, of quartz sealers of, of pie filling and, and jam and stuff like that. right? Uh, <laughs> absolutely. Well, and that's us because we raise Scottish Highlands. So we raise our own beef. We have Tibetan yaks. Um, so that's going to be the next meat source. We have a, crap ton of goats we have the donkeys or the donkey now we have a couple horses like i've got enough stuff to keep me busy but like and chickens right so we've got layers but we were going to do some meat birds this year and i've always said no because her dad raises meat birds and i'm like those are the most disgusting things in the world and <laughs> we grew growing up my little hometown there was a campbell's uh chicken uh barn there so I'd go vaccinate chickens for six bucks an hour. You grab them, you pull out the wing and someone sticks them. And those things would scratch you and they'd crap on you. They're like, I hate those things. But we decided we were going to do some meat birds this year. And I'm like, if we're going to do one, we're going to do 75. So we did 75 of them. 
they turned out awesome. And I actually enjoyed it. And it is so nice having our own beef, having our own chicken. We keep our freezers full. Every time we're low, we go back to Alaska, stock up with silvers and uh, halibut, come back. So like you said, people love visiting here because <laughs> like it's it's like going to a steakhouse whenever you show up. Fresh, fresh vegetables. Uh, I don't do grass fed i say they're grass raised they have the <laughs> option to, they have the option to fatten up on feed at the end if they want to but it's up to them who am i to tell someone what to do or tell something what to do so yeah. i put it there if they eat it um but even you know not just the trapping but even having those animals having the greenhouse you know if in a world like i live in for a profession i never get to see anything done the yeah. like the completion of something is the signing of a paper and then a check being received. And if you're wired to need to to have the necessity to see something completed, it's a very unfulfilling career. So going out and feeding animals, checking traps, tending to a greenhouse, even harvesting lettuce in the winter downstairs, like watching the seedlings. It is so satisfying. And what's crazy, it sounds so simplistic and I probably sound sappy, but it is like, it is completely changed anxiety levels. Like it is, it has made me a completely different person. Just the the decision to get out and simplify. No, no, no question. And I mean, I always talk about it. So, so good for my soul. You know what I mean? Yeah. And people look at you and think, well, you're pretty weird at going out and trapping animals or, or whatever is, is good for your soul but it just it's it's a way of of healing i think and yeah. the like uh we did chickens this year too first time since i was a kid and we did meat chickens and i remember losing a lot of meat chickens when they, when they'd be growing so um we wanted 25 uh one son wanted 25 the other son wanted 25 so that was 75 so we thought we'd get 100 so that we'd end up with 75 well we've got hundred she threw in seven extras where we bought the chicks from and like 103 made it to butcher <laughs> <laughs> you'll see that on the show this year <laughs> but that's a great problem to have you know and that's one of the things i don't think i can do it this year but next year i don't want to buy any meat you know granted i still like to treat myself like get a three inch thick uh tomahawk ribeye yeah. But I want to go one whole year without buying meat and trying to get by without any vegetables at all. I think I, I'm pretty close, but I don't think I have the dedication to do it right now. So next next year is the goal for that. Well, I'd, I'd like to, I got to, I, I got to find out about this, uh, this uh, hydroponics, because that's the only thing we're missing right now. Like we, we have enough, uh, we're still living off of uh, the potatoes and the, and the carrots and, and onions and that from the, from the garden. Uh, they're yeah. all fine. Um, my daughter has uh, cattle, so I mean, if we want beef, we get we get beef from from her. Otherwise, um, my cattle comes at, you know, with five or six points per side, and and people, <laughs> most people most people call them elk, and <laughs> yeah, and, and I feed them in the garden all year long too, so I don't feel bad yeah. about shooting them at all. And yeah, we we got uh, an elk and a moose off uh, out of the backyard last year, and and. We are just so set up when, I mean, we have a lot of chicken. We eat a lot of chicken yeah. right now because we ended up with so many more than, than what we were supposed to. And uh, we're, uh, 
I just had a hen go broody on me. Like for, we have uh, 10 layers right now. And in the wintertime, that means we're only getting like three, four eggs a day, right? Yeah. And But I just had one go broody. So a friend of mine, I don't have a, a rooster because 10 is just about enough for a rooster kind of thing. And I don't have one yet. So I went to, to my friend and I, I grabbed a half a dozen eggs. She has a good rooster and and I, I shoved them underneath the broody broody hen and we'll see if, if she hatches it out. Uh, we got ducks. Ducks are... Do you have ducks? How do you like them? No, I don't. They're I'm messy not allowed and they're stinky. And... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but they are egg-laying machines. And they're and... A, if you're a yolk person, aren't they? They're like great eggs too, right? Yep. Yeah. They have a, a much larger percentage of the of the egg is is yolk. Plus, they're probably double the size of a of an extra large chicken egg. Yeah. And we have six. Six uh, ducks uh, that are that are layers, and uh, we get five eggs a day, day in that's day. That's awesome. Oh that's yeah, like our, that's like our chickens. We have what do we have? Seven, just seven layers right now, but we five eggs a day, which is really? which is about yeah, which is about right. But oh gosh, we went to uh, we went to Mexico a couple of weeks ago, and we spent like ten days. If you ever want to go on a food tour, go to Oaxaca, Mexico, <laughs> and uh, oh, unbelievable. But we had Amanda's mom do chores and in London, the youngest, and we wrote the list. Well, we forgot to write water the chickens. So oh, they no. have a, a big heated water. So when I come back and they're out of water and they had stopped laying. And of course, the one time I want them to lay when eggs are $8.99 a dozen, they're on strike. <laughs> it took me two and a half weeks to get them to start laying again. They're, no. Oh, my yeah, goodness. <laughs> so, yeah. Like, oh. Okay, we can't forget. We can't omit one thing on the list. Do you, um, do you keep light on them in the wintertime? Yep. Yeah, they have a heat lamp. They have a heat lamp all the time, and then we have uh, LED lights in there that are set on timers. So yeah, I just, I just, we have a white, uh, like not not the red heat lamp, but the white, the uh, white light heat lamp in there. Yep. So it provides heat and it, and it provides, and I have it hanging uh, down in the bottom third of the of the coop. So and they can get up on roofs above it and, and sleep or whatever. But if they're going to be down where the food is or, or where the water is, and then they're in, yeah. they're in light. Cause we, on our shortest day of the year, we get like six and a half hours of daylight. And if it's yeah. snowing, you get zero hours of daylight, you know? <laughs> so we have to, uh, and you know, people it's, I get such a kick out of the internet is the internet doesn't make it stupid, make us stupider, but it sure shows people how stupid we are. <laughs> it lets the world know. Right. And people talk about, you know, oh, do I have to, you know, do I need to heat for my chickens and that? And then, yeah, you never need to. Chickens are where I live. You need to heat for chickens or, or, or you're just, you, you'll be up on charges for freezing them solid and killing them. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. And, you know, and, 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 you know, that's, that's the thing, you know, and just the crazy projects that you decide, like we needed to put in waters this year. So we went with waters out in Northern Canada. They're called drinking posts. They're like a, they're a PVC hydrant is what they are. They're just paddle fed. So we decide to put them in on Thanksgiving weekend. So I put 50 hours on an excavator on Thanksgiving weekend, like did it. It was a small city water project. And then thank goodness we got a ton of snow right away. Cause oh, yeah. we've been 25 below 30 below no freeze up. And my father-in-law, who was super skeptical, those things are not, every time it's cold, his electric ones are froze up. And I'm like, huh. So we're putting them in for him next year. Um, 
so, we don't have any but, large animals so we don't need to have water like that i know like my my daughter and, and her husband i mean that's one of the the, the banes of their existence is is watering and like i don't know they have like 700 head of cattle and and so wow. it's water 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 right and it's yeah. a big deal i don't i don't have that problem i mean i i pack water by the bucket and i mean it's good for me so whatever yeah i just got... so when you talk about the cold for people who don't live in the north i don't think they understand you know we talk about the how freeing it is just the to go out into nothing but i don't think people understand on a 20 below fahrenheit night which is almost when does it equal out fahrenheit and celsius is that 30 below? 40. when is that 40, 40 below yeah. So 20 below Fahrenheit, if there's no wind and it's a crystal clear night, there is probably no more refreshing time to be outside and go mess around than on a night like that. Yeah. I don't know if you think that way, but when, but when there's no wind, 20 below is, I, I'm not like, I don't want to sound crazy, but it is 100% enjoyable. It's one of the yep. best times to be out because you hear everything. Like it, it's like, it's just, it's my favorite. Well, yeah, you take a night like that, and then the northern lights, and you can actually yes. hear them. You know, I mean, you can we, hear them uh, crackle. <laughs> no, you what? No. Yeah, you can you can hear the northern lights. <laughs> We're not that far north. Either well, that, or you just said you're deaf. I don't know what you're actually hearing. So, <laughs> my wife tells me. <laughs> she tells me what I'm not hearing. Yeah. <laughs> You see those? They're making noise too. Yeah. Uh, no, make sure you tell everyone. I can remember um, when I was a kid, you could hear them. Like, I mean, they, they are, I mean, they, they they do have a buzzing, crackling noise to them. Um, but the, the thing I like about it is you take a, a, a moonlit night like that or a, a day, you know, uh, you know, minus 20, uh, 20 below Fahrenheit would be like about 30 below uh, Celsius when it's sunny and it's calm and you walk out and the air's got a bite in it, you know, if you breathe deep, it can't, you kind of get a little bit of a burn. That's a, that's a pretty liberating day. You, you feel, you, just you feel, feel alive. Yeah. You feel good about it. You know, you, you feel good that, that, that you can accomplish about, about anything you want. And it's funny too. It's all in your attitude. Uh, you ever notice when you start a winter, you know, when it first gets down to freezing, it's like, oh, Jesus, it's cold, you know, and, and you're putting coats on and all that. And then this time of the year, like when it, it gets up to, to 32 Fahrenheit for you guys or zero for us, you're, you're out there, you know, in your T-shirt. <laughs> it was today. It was yeah. 35 degrees and you're just, you're in a, a T-shirt and just, hey, it's, you got your winter skin on. Well, I was, yeah, you're right. Yeah, you're climatized. I had the 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 big door open on the on the um, one side of the the garage there, just because the ducks are in the garage right now and they stink so bad. So I had it open and then I'm laying on my back on the on the floor there, working on a, a snowmobile, putting it back together and making repairs. And it's just it was sun was streaming in. It was it was beautiful, but it, you know, you're just used to that weather, right? I I really yeah. enjoy this time of the year when because you. It it's so uh, it's so liberating in the days before the the, the mosquitoes, you know. <laughs> well, that's just it. You know, I I make that statement that how much I love winter. Now, let me clarify: I love winter, but when there's not tons of snow, when you get tons of snow, winter starts getting problematic for me, right? Because then the ice gets slushy for ice fishing. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's just harder to move around. So, but people with snowmobiles, they love it. But for me, 
I love ice cold with, you know, minutes, enough snow to track stuff because you have the whole world to yourself. Everyone goes in yeah. and like one one thousandth of the population in your area is outside. You have everything to yourself. And that's what you said, the mindset. It's just getting back to the simplification of life where all of a sudden those things are meaningful to you. Wow. I, like it's, it's just crazy how different it makes a person feel. Uh, you know, and it, and it's funny because we started, you know, we, we get a lot of questions and people always, you know, about this, that, and the next thing. And, and I realized that I, I skip so much. I condense so much. My, my TV shows are, are technically good for uh, for a trapper, but not for the beginner trapper because I I just skip so much. It's it's just I, I call it muscle memory. Your hands do by themselves, so you don't think to show it, right? And yeah. I'd like to have, um, I'd like to hire a cameraman who knew nothing about trapping, but was a good cameraman, and come along because they ask you a lot of questions, and you know they then you'd, you'd explain a lot more, you know, they'd say, why are you doing that? Or what, what's this about? And I kind of, cause I never think to do it. I'm just, I'm, I have a reason for everything. And, and I condense things down cause I'm trying to show, you know, what, what I feel is, is important. I mean, it's important to, to show the set, the, you know, the technology and, and the success, that, that, that kind of stuff, everything else I, I miss out on. Like I don't show near enough of, uh, of the, uh, the scenics, the landscape, like there's some shows you watch where they accomplish nothing in the whole day in yeah. in the whole show and yet you feel kind of satisfied having watched it you know and i sh i need to do more more of those not not like i'm not telling everybody that's what's coming but we yeah. we no. ended up because we've been asked so many questions about our life and and uh, people are really more i think it's because they identify with us uh they they feel they feel that we're good people and 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 we're like them so that makes them good people or or, or vice versa or whatever that they're good people and and we have similar values so it makes us good people but they 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 want to know more about your personal life which which is fascinating you know and and uh i just never think about it so i mean yeah we're we're showing more things like the the bees the gardens the the uh uh the greenhouse um uh, all that kind of stuff the you know sandy's favorite bread recipe and you know we, we have a monster what? on the on the countertop right now it's called a, a sourdough starter you know <laughs> that's i've got uh, two gallons of kombucha brewing right above me it's like all the all those things but you know you know why that is is because of something you said earlier you're not looking to create content you, like there's no drama there's nothing scripted because you guys play such real characters when i say like you, you like you're on a tv show right so you're a character but you're yourselves people feel so connected to you that they want to understand more about you so i i think that's that has a lot to do with it is is the authentic the authenticity that you guys bring forward in what you portray on a weekly or uh, bi-weekly basis however often you're putting stuff out now well i mean it, it's honest to god truth easiest job you ever have because we're just us <laughs> you know well, all we're doing is just chronicling what what we do uh but you end up you know your everyday life to life stuff like sitting down and eating a meal and that kind of stuff are is just your everyday stuff and that's so i mean it's kind of boring to you so you assume it's boring to everybody else and that's not true people no not yeah, I post a picture 
of the cabin or or inside their house or inside the garage the questions that i get asked about you know what's that over there what's what's this what's that you know what do you do with that you know like people just are take those pictures apart you know and and blow them up and, and check out everything out in it and, and the questions they ask is like, it's fascinating it's fascinating yeah. and uh, i i enjoy it i mean I, i'm kind of um i'm in awe that that people find my life that fascinating because i find it boring sometimes you know because <laughs> <laughs> you live it i mean look at the stuff you did you're a professional walleye fisherman yes. how many houses have you built a lot yeah i don't know <laughs> yeah no but i i mean there's there's a lot in that we live in a complete log home in the middle of nowhere you know i'm like i'm a software executive amanda's a writer I, you know we're as simple as they come but i've done stuff at nasa she's been on tv she won deep fried masters the minnesota state fair edition like the thing is is just because someone's simple doesn't mean there's not depth underneath it but by having that authenticity and that and that simple coming across as simple, it's a lot easier for people to peel back the onion. So it's just being who you are and and not trying to be anything else and enjoying those small things. It invites people to want to understand you more, not even just you uh, as a TV personality, us. People start asking, what do you do? And they're like, What? You've done what? You've you 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 won what? It's like really and like yeah. Well, what's the big deal? Like yeah, met with executives from John Deere this week. It's like no big deal. Like that's what we do. And, but then we come home and we go out and we feed our goats, our yaks, our cows, and <laughs> it's it, it. And but that's what we enjoy. Like it's it's that authenticity. And then also it's doing. You know, we you can you can stack up big piles of fur, right? We can't. We can get fours, fives, Martin and Fisher season. We can get two. So it's either two Martin, two Fishers, or one of each. Can't do a lot, right? Yeah. So what we do is, luckily, Amanda and London, they're great with knives. So they do all the skinning. They do all the fleshing. They do everything. And then they'll actually make gloves. They'll make hats. They'll do all that stuff. And because we're doing all that, well, damn it. Now I bought myself a dermistid beetle colony. So now all of a sudden I'm doing deer heads for people. So like all of the, like, there's so many different things you can do to pass time that are just fun. And once again, you meet, you know, 10, 20 people. Now all of a sudden, oh, you live right over here. Just because all of a sudden, oh, you need a deer head done. Just bring it over. I'll throw it in the, throw it in the deep freeze. That's actually a pretty cool little, uh, pretty cool little setup that, uh, that I got. It's, it's quite handy. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I think too, uh, just talking with you about it here, it, it kind of enlightened me on something else is that um, people look at you and, and you're obviously happy. And today people are searching, always searching for the answers and all that. And when you take a look at at, at where our world, what our world has become and, and the, the, the type of people and lifestyles that are being uh, foisted on us, you know, like the, the Madonnas and the, and, and the, uh, uh, the rappers and all that kind of stuff and and those lifestyles you know where they're making it rain at the strip club and all that and then they look at you and they say but he lives back there with his yaks and his goats and he's happy <laughs> so what's going on here let's let's check this out why is he happy you know is, is there something to it or is he just simple you know 
<laughs> I, I get that be, question. Yeah, I get that question a lot. Are you just simpler. <laughs> it could be the eight concussions, let's be honest. Um, no, but, you know, so you do this all the time. When you're out on the line, what's your favorite thing that you're trapping now? What do you enjoy? What do you enjoy the most? What species do you enjoy targeting the most? <sighs> I each each one has its lure. Um probably lynx. Probably like for end to end, it's it's the cats. And when you do something like wolves and coyotes, canines are actually I mean, it's it's part of their nature. They're they're very I don't want to humanize them or or make it do the disnification here, but they're very analytical. If you follow a canine long enough in the bush, you'll see where it backtracks and looks back over its its trail. You'll see where you know it it has cut its own cut it back through its trail and cut its own wind and that. If you scare them, they go they always go into the wind, so they know where what they're going into. Most game animals do that too. They go into yeah. the wind, so because if they were to run downwind, well, they could be running right into trouble, right? So I mean those kind of things. But cats are like stoned old little hippies wandering through the bush they just do not <laughs> they don't do a lot of things that make a lot of sense you know yeah. i mean and there's very few things that you could say that are are you know their habits alone like i mean they pee on things like a canine does they scratch like a canine does um you, you want to have fun with your uh with your trail cam taking the uh, use uh, a, a bit of lure like some some triple sack or whatever and and uh set in the summertime set a post out an obvious post or little stump or whatever and put a drop or two of, of lure on it every animal will come to it including moose and deer and bears and and wolves and coyotes and and lynx and and martin fisher everything and just about all of them pee on it like yeah that was one of the one of the biggest lights out when the light bulb came on over my head for me was was you always thought that just a wolf peed there or just a dog peed there or whatever. It's not. They all, yeah. it's all communal. And I mean, it goes back to you old enough to have watched Michigan Outdoors. Yeah. Do you remember Fred, Fred Trost? Do you remember yeah. when he got in trouble with Tinks about the, the, the deer pee? <laughs> Do you <Yeah>. remember that? <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, and, you know, he said, well, within an hour, pee was pee it was just basically urea and water and it's true yeah. and it's true you know like they talk about the pheromones and and that kind of stuff that are released uh, you know when the dough is in estrus which is true but it's not there very long and yeah. it's the same thing when you take and set up a pee post for for animals to go to it's the same thing like even moose go there you know like I, yeah. it, it, it's astounding to to watch that stuff but the links are just a little bit um scatterbrained they're not they're not as predictable uh like if i want to trap wolves i'm, I'm going to set up a situation where you know they're 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 not going to be looking right at the at the snare when they come in i'll have it on a hill or i'll, I'll have it on uh, on a corner they'll deflect off the corner and into another snare you you got to take advantage of that and take advantage of the of the pack uh hierarchy you know that that's yeah. always going on they're always they're always juggling for for their position in the pack there's none of those things that you can count on with a cat. The only thing that I can count on with a cat is if I see a cat track here once, one day there will be a cat track there again. 
and I don't know why. You know, uh, they I probably learn more from them because you just have to give up. It's kind of like finding religion. You just have to give yourself up to Jesus because you you if a cat comes in from the behind a pen and circles one way, the next cat's going to probably come in the same way. You know, if they, if they come down the trail and, and find your pen that way, then that's one of one of those areas for, for that. But I have pens where I have, uh, you know, snares behind the pen because that's where the cats come from. And I don't know why, because I always set up, you know, whenever you set up a snare, uh, a snare system or, or your footholds or whatever, you're setting up with to the predominant winds. Right. So here it's going to be a, it's either going to be a north. Or, or west wind or northwest something like that you know those combinations are the most common but i have some where those cats come out of you know they will come in from behind uh a pen that's set on the on the west side of my trail they'll come in from behind and 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 find it like you know what's going on there and it's not yeah. just once you know once could have been the the wind that time but they, i think they're traveling through and they get close enough that they either see the visual of of the toy I have hanging there, or or they, they actually get a, a smell of what's going on in that. But they they you have to pay attention to them because they're always talking to you, and 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 uh, they're uh, they're they're the one that I have the biggest learning curve on. You know, every now and then they throw me a curveball, and things like um, like otters and Fisher and Martin and that are pretty predictable, uh, especially for us in the winter time when um and and like mink very predictable yeah. but we don't get we don't have any open water mink like our oh really no by the time our mink season starts it starts on the first of november everything's frozen so i don't have any of that uh um any of that that bottom edge sets and i mean close as i get to a bottom edge set is it's on top of the ice but and it, they'll go underneath an overhang and uh, on a on the creek yeah. bank that kind of thing right <laughs> and i mean it, it's simple i mean you have you have a you have a creek that goes like this well, the, the mink are, are going to bounce off of every corner. You know, it's it's, it's, it's yeah. as simple as it gets. And and the otter do the same thing. It's so funny. Um, grandkid set me down and he says, Yo, Grandpa, he says, let's watch this. And uh, it was on Netflix. It was um documentary. It was about Yellowstone. Maybe it wasn't Netflix. Maybe it was Disney. I don't know. Great. I, I was I, I was at the, their place and and, uh, and it was about Yellowstone and, and he says, look at this grandpa. And, and uh, they're talking about the winter. And it was really cool to to see the old uh, the bisons, you know, and they're all just covered in in the frost and everything. And they look they look pretty prehistoric when they when, when they walk out of all yeah. that, you know, the, the guys are smoking all that and they're just covered in hoar frost. It's like it, it looks cold, but it looks like I'd, I'd, I'd like to go there. That'd, that'd be cool. <laughs> But they were talking about these otters and there was this, this mother and kit otter. And, and they were talking about how it was just the end of the world. And they had to go over the mountain or down the hill or whatever it was to find where there was going to be open water. Cause they'd never survived the winter. Otters travel for miles and miles and miles oh. through the snow. You know it where you're at. You got lots of otter there. Yeah. And they are continually traveling. They don't go find an open piece of water or, or a place to get in under under the ice and stay there for the winter. No, they're there for a week, maybe a week. I mean, I will go and where I, my trap line is uh, the headwaters of a, of a river. And so there's a bunch of little creeks and little bodies of water and all that. And there's all these, you know, the trickle down effect that you have com coming to yep. the, the headwaters and it's all pretty, pretty muskegy and all that stuff. But, but, each one of those, wherever I cross that, you know, uh, a, 
a watershed or, or whatever, whether it's a little little creek or just a, just a seepage or whatever, uh, if there's an otter going up, you know, if, it, if, if he's headed uh, upstream, I know I can set a trap and I know in a week's time he's coming back down. You know, and and uh, you know, weeks time I'll I'll have an otter there if it doesn't snow or or blow in between and, and fill in his tracks. So, uh, it's uh, you know, they're a lot more predictable. But they, but the whole thing was that I got a kick out of was this Disneyfication about how you know the mother was you know had to pack the little one over the mountain and all this kind of stuff to to go find water and they weren't going to make it otherwise. This this purest bs you know what i mean <laughs> <laughs> it was spectacular footage but you know they're yeah. talking about how they just finally made it over the over the over the mountain range and and yet the hillside's all covered in otter slides right you know <laughs> yeah and you know isn't it you know you, you talk about solving the puzzle like especially with links right there's no real way to pattern them think about the opportunity for people who have a problem solving brain, right? That's how oh. they think. And that's how they're satisfied. If you could get, I mean, even like remove the trap, right? Getting out in the wild and even like a camera trap. Like if people would understand how complex it is to pattern an animal such as a lynx and then experience like, oh man, I did it it would change the perspective of so many people as to how they view what we do in the woods. There's no shortcuts. That's the one thing that I, yeah, that's the one thing. So many people get a hold of me and say, you know, I got this, this, and this, where should I put a trout? I was like, hell, I don't know. How well do you know your trap line? <laughs> you know, <laughs> I mean, there, 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 there's some basic stuff. I mean, it's like you stop at it. It's like driving. You stop at a stop sign. You, you know, you, you look left before you turn that kind, that kind of stuff but you especially for for links links are are a prime example so you just got to know your trap line because where you see yeah. one cat track you're eventually going to see another cat track you know i just just had one here uh last check uh, a place where i uh, the day after i i put up a, a fisher box because there was a nice fisher track put up a fisher box next day i come back there's a fisher there and so i i, I take in uh i keep setting it and that I had a lynx come that winter. A lynx came there twice, and you know they put his foot up against the tree and look up into the box, and because there's beaver meat up there, and they lynx yeah. can smell beaver meat for forever, right? So I, I set a lynx pen there, and I've been tending that lynx pen for for three years. Well, I last check, I had a lynx, and it's really funny because the you know there had been that three years ago, a couple of cats through there and nothing, and or I mean you, I can't say nothing because you. you you can't always tell, you know, some, sometimes it snows so much that you couldn't tell a mouse track from a moose track, you know what I mean? And, <laughs> and so you, you, don't, yeah. you don't really know. And, and it's really egotistical to think that I, that one pen there on the corner of those intersection of those two, two seismic lines and, and that, you know, I'm, I'm going to have a big draw or control of what, what happens around. I mean, they can walk right by a foot away. And if it's snowing and blowing the wrong way, I mean, they're not, they're not going to know that kind of thing. But uh, I, I picked up one, uh one uh, uh this last check and and uh the next day I, I was through there and there was another track through there you know like i mean right right, right to the uh, right by the same place so you just you just don't know but for whatever reason uh when cats move in that in, in that particular area and we have a pretty large area like, i mean uh, 144 square miles is our registered trap line and and you know you you, you cut that back and forth and 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 
you know, if you were to slice it up in, in quarter to half mile slices, I mean, that's, that's a lot of, a lot of that's uh, a lot. land to cover. Yeah. And when you have one person doing trapping that area to think that they could over trap it, it's kind of egotistical because yeah. you, you, there, there's a lot, a lot of animals there. Right. And, and just to, to try and come in contact with them all the time. But that's, that's what I mean though about, about the links is that you just, there's no predicting. Just no predicting, you know, uh, other than where you've seen tracks, that's a good good place to start. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that's just it. You have to be attentive, right? It's, uh, and that's it's probably one of the biggest things that I'm all over the place, right? But when I'm in the woods, especially when I'm trapping, even when I'm driving now, it's like, oh, otter toilet, oh, slide. Like, oh, onyx, oh, it's state land. All right, oh, drop a pit, like, paying attention all the time yeah. and like it it forces you to come in and it for like forces you to like mindfully do something which for someone like me is an impossible task well what i like about it is that i'm i'm a well as a builder i mean you start at the ground up you, yeah. you take you take a pile of lumber and you turn it into something and i like projects and i like to complete them and that's that's really important to me. I get a lot of satisfaction from that. And anything where hard work pays off, I'm successful at. Because I'm not always the most intuitive or or have the best, you know, abilities. You know, like when I fished on the PWT, you know, I um, I was the best Canadian, but that wasn't saying much. I was the only Canadian. So <laughs> Your prize money was in loonies. Um. <laughs> But anything, anything where hard work pays off, I do good yeah. at, you know, uh, luck is another story. And I mean, luck is really important, but, uh, when it comes to trapping, I mean, it's, it's a lot of hard work. And I mean, you just, you, basically it's, it's shock and awe. You get out there and you, and, and you get everything covered off and that you, you learn though, the longer that you trap an area, you learn what's productive, what isn't. Now, I've had two different trap line trips this week, uh, this, this winter. It's been kind of chaotic because I've had more people out on the trap line this winter. And, and it's kind of tough for me because I'm kind of, you know, like Sandy and I, it, it's our spot, our place, right? It's where we go and yeah. recharge. And, and so it's tough to share it with other people, but you know, we realize that, you know, you have to, and, and, and you like to, I really like taking people out and showing them that. And especially if there's been fresh snow, because I always, refer to that as as reading the morning headlines in the newspaper because yeah there is just so much out there so much information right in front of you right but we uh we donated a, a traveling trip with us at the wild sheep foundation last year uh in alberta the alberta chapter here and i'm a director there and i, I also had a magazine i wasn't doing enough obviously i was sleeping three hours a night or whatever and <laughs> cool. i had I had, to, <laughs> I had to find more to do so we we donated uh, that. Some uh, folks bought it. We we took them out in the trap line. It was awesome. It was awesome. They were young kids from Ontario of all places, and which out in the west here we think of Ontario as you know them other people, them cityfied people, and all that. And these kids came came west to work in the oil patch and that kind of stuff. So they're they're like the antichrist to their own family, you know. <laughs> and and uh, I I thought so. It was, you know, it was it was a lot of fun to talk to them. So, what's Elber like compared to what you're told? And, you know, it was really it was really cool to see the eye opening and and uh, it was very enjoyable. They were they were wonderful. It made me feel good about the about the youth again. And then uh, another 
fella had a couple of years ago, just before COVID had, had donated a, a trapline trip. And in between his trapline got logged. And so he's got nothing. And so I stepped up and did, and did that. And so we just had a fellow and his, and his 10 year old son out and they were just fascinated by the, well, how can you tell it's this? And how can you tell it's that? And, you know, and, and you know, like people have a trouble telling the difference between a, uh, a weasel, a mink, a martin, and a fisher track, and and they're they're so obvious. I mean, you you can tell thirty miles an hour what it is on, you know, as you go by, right? And but yeah. to explain it to them, right? And well, well, how how can that little weasel? How can his he, he be jumping that far? And the martins only jump this far. Well, because that little weasel, you know, he he has a a lot more higher energy than the martin. The martin lopes along, you know, and, yeah. It's just it's it, it it's just a fascinating world out there, and but I really like it when there's new people along. A little ten year old guy there, um, Carson. He was he was awesome because he asked some really good questions, and and uh, I I just like to see when people's mind is working. That's the you know he didn't have a a phone out or anything else. I mean he was there, he was in the moment, and it was it was pretty cool. I like that. Yeah, well, and that's that's just it, right? You guys with your show are are doing it, but. How do like how do you keep the legacy going? Because there's less and less people out in the woods, less and less people doing it. It's harder to keep young kids occupied when there's not cell service. So I mean, it's it's really a a tough problem to like to try to think to overcome. How do you get those eight and ten year olds? How do you get them hooked on trapping now? Especially if their parents aren't right. Like yeah, it, I mean, I just look at me. I had a dog, I had a 22 and uh, a dirt bike and I would just go get lost and I just see what I could shoot or see what I could find. And, but that's it. But, and then like you get older and you got to try to keep replicating that experience. And all of a sudden you have significant others and you have to, you have to pull away from that. And then the kids, here's the one thing that I found with the kids though, because I wanted I want in four girls, right? I wanted them all to be boys. I wanted a, I wanted them to have some level of being a boy. So they grew up ice fishing. They grew up hunting. But as I got older, it's like I really had to be mindful of what they were in it for. So like Liv, the oldest, she liked the camaraderie. She loved to be at hunting camp. And, you know, the guys would feed her Mountain Dew or Mellow Yellow. And she'd get all silly as a kid. You know, Lauren, she'd sit over a flasher and just sit and jig. And Ava, she never wanted to kill anything. So we would just go for drives and count the animals that we could see. And then with London, you know, we go somewhere, we bring her home a new knife. Like, what do you want? I want a custom, like we bring her custom knives and she's out skinning animals and creating stuff. But it's like, it's the individual experience, but what it's taking that and making certain that it's as meaningful for you as a parent and like especially a grandparent now, but you have to kind of forego what you want out of it and just get the joy of what they want out of it. That took me, you know, you talk about learning things and getting smarter as you got older. I kept trying to force stuff. And when I forced it, they would fight it and they wouldn't enjoy it. And when I learned to adapt my expectations tailored to what they want to do and more importantly, separating them because the oldest three, there's 20 months between them the one was 20 months old when the twins were born. So like, it's just, a, it was, it was a shit show from, you know, 20 months on, but <laughs> getting that individual time. But 
but that that's just it, right? What we enjoy in the woods isn't what our kids enjoy. And just tempering those expectations and, and tailoring those those times so they're meaningful to everyone. Like but that's something that that's what I learned. You still enjoyed the time together. Both of well, both sides enjoyed absolutely. the time. Absolutely. And that's that 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 was that was our youth. Like, I mean, we we've often joked and said it many, many times that uh you know, there was us and three kids in the in the household, and that you know it was five kids, just two, just two paid the mortgage was all, you know. And, and <laughs> I I learned I learned early. I mean, because I, I was always a hardcore fisherman, always hardcore hunting, uh, you know, trapping. And I mean, if you'd looked up Jack Pine Savage in the dictionary, there'd be a picture of my brother and I, you know, and we would we would live the leave the we li lived in a little city of about ten thousand and and uh we had bear creek was was within the city limits and, and the wapiti river was was just i don't know 10 miles away but we would we would take snowmobiles and go out across the wapiti river and and uh you know and have sleeping bags and and, and build ourselves a lead to and and spend the spend the the weekend in the winter time and, and our parents were okay we're, were okay with it we were, we were capable right yeah um but you know i was very hardcore and then also my kids come along well i could either make it unenjoyable for them and, and me enjoy it or i could just do what 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 made what made them happy so my daughter was a better fisherman than my sons were especially when it came to ice fishing and um when it came to uh to actual fishing in the summertime well when that ice first goes off up here we have a lot of um, pike right and every now and then there's a 40 inch pike but most often they're pike like that right yeah well you take and uh you have those pencil reeds they're sheared off by the ice and they and when it leaves and you take and cast a, a spinner bait out across that and, and just reel it back and and those pike you could watch them because you're in water this deep right you oh can watch yeah. them just come rocking after a kid gets that right every time because they, they get excited and they reel even faster and that pike just yeah well so I taught them. <laughs> I, I wonder where I had all the energy back in those days. I taught them how I taught them how to use bait casters. Oh. I taught those kids. They they never learned how to use a, a a closed face, or they never learned how to use a spinning. They they learned on a bait caster. So I would spend entire days out in the boat and I, without ever touching touching my own rod because i'd be constantly fixing up a bird's nest and oh. it was, I, I i don't know why i did it but you know it was <laughs> it was actually kind of it was cool it was cool and they uh they still talk about it today i mean you know our daughter is uh, turned 41 yesterday and uh she she's our eldest and i mean our kids are all all yeah uh, the second eldest will, will be 40 later this year and uh they still come home. They still come home. They still sit around the fire and they talk about those days and the, and all that kind of stuff. So, I mean, it was it was important. And it, the biggest thing was was the time together. You know, whether you were yeah. you know you know on a back road somewhere and and had a toboggan out behind the the truck or, or the snowmobile and puddling along and and they're going back and forth and you know it was just it was just time. It was just yeah. time and and. You'd stop and build a fire and all that kind of stuff. You know, it was, it was, uh, uh, you look back at it and, uh, you know, it was, it was a, a heck of a good way. At the time, you're right in the middle of it. You, you just didn't notice it. You know what I mean? You're, yeah. you're busy, you're busy living, right? And uh, which is cool. But you're talking about capturing people. And I don't know how we capture the youth today other than 
outreach programs or like uh, in schools and that kind of stuff. But you know what? We're having a lot more people come to it later in life. Yeah. Like, I mean, we do, we're kind of in, in the middle of, uh, of all of it as far as, you know, telling people about trapping and that and we, we air on the pursuit channel in the, in the U S. And so we get a lot of, a lot of uh, feedback in that from that and it and it's people that just want to go out and try and they want to learn they they're fascinated with it and i guess you know today's world i mean there, there's some things that are you know not as big a challenge or or as big as accomplishment as as nature is right and nature yeah. has has its own rules it doesn't matter you can't go buy a cheat code for to to beat nature you know what i mean yeah. <laughs> you have to put your time in so yeah. it, it's pretty fascinating that way i i worry about I worry about the capturing of, of people, but then, you know, so many things are, are cyclic. When we, when COVID hit here in Alberta, we all of a sudden sold um, hundreds of thousands of more fishing licenses than we had the previous year. And it was because people couldn't do anything else. And yeah. we, uh, both Sandy and I sit on the Alberta Conservation Association, which um, we, we get uh, a stipend off of every, every license to, uh, do conservation work and all that she's the treasurer i sit there as a as a representative for alberta wild sheep and uh it was fascinating i mean it, it was a million or million and a half extra dollars because of these people oh, wow. buying fishing licenses and it was funny now you know it's starting to bleed off as life has returned back to normal or whatever normal is but it's 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 funny when you think about that you know fishing was competing with all everything else you know trips to uh to to mexico and and yeah. uh you know the mall and all that kind of stuff but you know fishing when nobody else had anything else to do fishing was was pretty good you know what i mean absolutely well and and that's just it there's it became a necessity right and when there's not a necessity somehow people need to understand the urgency because when you spend enough time in the in the woods things are changing like you said the, your your buddy with his trap line couldn't fulfill something he gave away because it was yeah. logged. Yeah. Like there's only we talked earlier about capturing something in the moment, right? Like yeah. the three perfect that doesn't happen all the time. And the only way to experience is is by being out there. You know, just like just like with any work, any job, getting a house done on time, there needs to be a sense of urgency. People need to understand that there's a sense of urgency that needs to be related to getting out and experiencing nature because it's changing every day. And a lot of it's not changing in a positive fashion. So yeah, that's true. That's very true. You know, and it, and it's kind of funny um, where my trap line is very busy oil field. Okay. So, and it, it is all um, deep oil sands. Yeah. Uh, everybody knows about Fort McMurray. And about about the oil sands there and how it's being strip mined. Well, that is only three percent of Alberta's oil sands can be strip mined. Only three really? percent, and they've only they've done less than than two percent of of that three percent at Fort McMurray. But the rest of it is all all far too deep. So they do what's called SAG D, which is steam assisted uh, uh, gravity drainage, and so they go down and they frack. Which yep. you know they they have horizontal drills drilling in that and and they frack and and it causes the the seepage of of oil and and uh, and natural gas and that in and and they mix it with um with uh, condensate which is another fluid from down there condi is is 
probably what saved Alberta the most of during this last downturn because Condi was still 1800 bucks a barrel and never, never changed. And most of our gas here or most of our, our um, formation here is, is what they call wet gas or so it has Condi in it. And so they, this Condi, they mix with the bitumen and, and uh, it's called diluted bitumen and dilbit and then it flows. And so they, they, they can bring it up. So I'm in a very, very busy uh, oil field area, but because of, you know, capitalism is constantly trying to produce the most for the least. You know this yep. in your business, uh, you know, your inefficiencies and, the, and that kind of stuff. I look at at the differences in my on my trap line. And, you know, it wasn't very many years ago that if they were putting just a single hole straight down, basically yeah. running a straw down to a reservoir, right? I would lose five acres of land. Okay. That's what it took to drill that well. And that's what they set the set the, the pump on or what or whatever, the donkey. And there was five acres. And now that five acres might have 12 holes in it. I've got I've got a couple of different uh formation or well sites on uh on uh, my place there that have for 10 acres, they have 24 wells there. That oh, wow. when they set that rig up, it actually walks. Okay. And they're going down like a kilometer down and then a kilometer sideways. And think about the roots on a tree and how they keep, they go out and they bifurbricate and that. And yep. that's what's, that's what's down there. It's I, the technology is astounding. The, Crazy. I've, I've had uh, the, the people at Baytex have sent me um, 3d um, projections of, of what they're actually drilling down there. And the fact that they can go down and, and, and they can make a Y and, and they can come back and they, and they can Y off this one and this one, and, and it goes on and on and on. And they, they go for a kilometer away from that well. And they'll put 24 of them, 12 to 24 of them on, on 10 acres. Well, then, then, then they take and they, um, they work together. If, if they, they might drill over into, into a, a neighboring uh, company's lease, well, then they, they have a, a profit sharing set up with them and, you know, they split the costs of, you know, of, of uh, moving the product through the pipeline and the roads. And like, there's this big cooperative thing going on there all the time that, where they're trying to reduce their impact and, and their footprint. And, and uh, I find that fascinating. Like, I mean, the changes that have been made, it's not, it's not all bad. It is. Some... No, oh, no. Yes. Yeah. You know, no, I mean, I, I'm. I'm I'm not a tree hugger. I, no, no. So I hope I didn't cast myself as a, as a, as a as a hippie right there. But no, it, no, it no. I, I, I didn't take yeah. it that way. I just I, you know, I never until I had uh, any other trap line I ever had was never in an in an oil producing area. So this is a very big oil producing area, and it's fascinating the, the the changes that have happened even in the last ten years. You know, they've taken fracking from being non-existent to uh you know in the last 10 years to they've dropped the the price from what you know has has went down as much as 70 percent per per well site you know it's, it's fascinating yeah. i mean this it all affects a guy as a as a trapper you know because i take a look at uh, you know everything is a, an oil well lease and or a, a lease road or whatever lease being the the word you know, you know how important words are today right oh so yeah lease lease means temporary right yeah it's not temporary in my life <laughs> you know it's not it's yeah. not temporary you know it, it's it's permanent so i mean and th th you know so you you there's things that we work with my my oil companies are generally very nice to to work with they understand you know you show them that the you know they they go and 
and plow my trails and and they they think they're doing me a favor well i don't do anything by vehicle i, I do it all all by snow machine or, or argo so now you know when when it's plowed out in the winter time well that's costing me parts and time and and you know sometimes shutting me right down you know yeah. and uh you know once they understand it i mean they, they don't understand my world much better much better than than a lot of people would understand their world so it it's it's a cooperative thing but we can we can exist side by side oh absolutely we can you know and i'm jaded being in in agriculture right now and the lure of everyone chasing carbon dollars right Ooh. carbon sequestration we could have a whole episode on greg thompson's musing uh, musings on carbon sequestration because it's like it's it's kind of like getting out and understanding nature for yourself, right? In theory, it's awesome, right? The more carbon we put in the ground, the more uh, nutrients are, uh, the more carbon's trapped, the more nutrients it provides, the better it is for the soil, the better it is for the earth, so on and so forth. But the monetization of that dilutes the value of what's going on so much. Like you take a large organization, let's, I was just on a flight, Delta, right? Delta buys carbon credits. Yeah. They go into a marketplace. Yeah. Someone acquires those carbon credits. Then someone else needs to uh, verify those carbon credits. Then they need to pay someone to go pull soil yeah. samples because that's the only, it's so insignificant by the time it gets to a farmer, there's no way that it's ever going to be adopted. So well, not it's- a, Not only that, <laughs> how is it, this is like, this is like a religion where yes. I can prepay for sin. You know, that absolutely because it doesn't stop the carbon. It doesn't stop nope. it being produced. You know, buying carbon credits doesn't stop anything. You know, like <laughs> we, we have a, a prime minister that, that 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 is just an idiot about this kind of stuff, but he's he's all about you know about carbon and being carbon zero and all that. Well, if we play a big enough shell game and move move the you know the three-card Monty around it and uh, you know long enough and pay this person, pay that person. Well, yeah, well, we're carbon zero on paper. We're still yes. producing carbon, but we're we're just exporting it somewhere else or whatever. I mean, it's stupid that is. I Yeah, or e even the trickery of reclassifying a standing forest as now an area that's sequestering sequ sequestering carbon. It's always been doing it just because someone paid for a credit know. doesn't mean it's accomplishing anything. I know with my land, most of my land is forested and, and I, I could sell carbon credits off of it if I wanted to, but I just, I got to look at myself and shave in the morning. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> so well, I, it, I, it, I, just goes, me, it, it goes back to the simplification and being real, right? If you want to yeah. make a difference, understand what you're trying to do. It's like uh, our little town, just 30 miles away, they're going to do a nickel mine. Because, you know, it, nickel's needed in order to make electric vehicles, right? Yeah. So it's great. No, it's not because they're not processing it where they're mining it. They're trucking it to the other side of North Dakota. So there's, they're creating more carbon by, right. by mining it and shipping it than you're going to save by putting it in a vehicle. 10 years? This is my forecast. 10 years, we'll look back at electric vehicles and laugh. Do you think, yeah. it'll, do you think that's realistic? 10 years or will it take longer? No, it'll be 10 years because let's be honest, you like look at a, look at a farmer, right? Look at during harvest equipment's running 24 hours a day. Oh, I know. How do you I charge know. it? Like, but if you created something that was a hybrid, so instead of getting, you know, instead of having, if you reduce fuel consumption by half, then you're doing something meaningful, right? 
Yeah. So if you're using electricity to power and using the diesel to power the electricity, I mean, all of a sudden you're making a difference. And when you reduce something by half and it's real, you're doing more than thinking you're going to reduce something by 100% and never accomplishing it. That's true. And I mean, it, it wasn't uh, like Toyota had never, ever got into electric vehicles until the most recent chairman, the fellow uh, Toyota, um, not Toyota, but Toyota, <laughs> it's a D in there instead of a, a, the last T. He stepped down and said that he he still didn't believe that the future would be electric, that it was hybrid was the only way to go. But why is it though hybrid has not caught on? I don't know. Is it the pot? Is it how popular Tesla has become and how, well, you look at it, where's the most dense populations it's in cities where you have a commute, where you have a, where you have a commute that's inside of a battery range. Me and you like on a Saturday, we'll we'll run eight hours one way and eight hours back. Like we can't do it. No, I know it's and pulling a stock trailer. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's a reason I drive a F-350 diesel and, 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 you know, Tesla just doesn't work and and the cold, you know, by the time you get down to, uh, what is it? Uh, four degrees Fahrenheit, they, they, they've lost 40% of their, uh, of their ability to hold a charge. It's like, you're already in useless zone. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's, but it, it all paints like there's, there's a reason to care. People just need to understand why they care. And if they spend time out in the wild, they'll get a lot better picture of why they need to make a difference. It, it's easy to fight for carbon sequestration when you're in New York City, when yeah. you're in Chicago, when you're in LA. Nothing's real. You think you're doing something great. Get out and see what you're affecting. And it like all of a sudden things become meaningful. Well, we have the same thing too, like big cities of Edmonton and Calgary and people in there, downtown, you know, they're, they're, we actually, they're, they're big enough that where people don't actually own a vehicle. They, they get around by, you know, public transit. They don't go anywhere and they don't have anything for lives really. Like, I mean, they're, they're, they're very sheltered and then, but they, they feel that they have the ability to to speak up on, on how we, what we do is wolves, you know, the snaring wolves, uh, the feral horse problem we've got, those kind of things. They, they, they talk about them like like they their voice is meaningful and they don't understand what's going on they yeah. they don't have you know any concept that that we have areas now where horses are the major the the, the major uh megafauna you know they have yeah they are the keystone uh fauna which which means that they have offset the the moose and the and the elk they have bumped them out like that's not right you know, and yeah. they're feral. They're, they're, there's no such thing as a wild horse in North America. They're all feral, and and uh, you know, if they're wild, well, then <laughs> we we just got a new a new uh, minister for our um, uh, for fish and wildlife, and he said, "Well, here's my take on it." He says, "If they're wild animals, and, you know," he says, "Well, then we got to set up seasons for them, just like we do with the other wild animals." Well, then of course, all the people who are are you know big on on the on the horses oh no, they're not wild they're feral he says well then we have a we, we go with the <laughs> department of agriculture and and we feral animals and and released uh uh farm animals we, we we have a way of controlling them there too which is right we have um areas where you know like a, a wildlife management unit which is how we break up our, our province for for hunting you know yeah and wildlife management unit where, where they count 14 uh uh moose and and 400 and and some uh horses like i mean we gotta do something about that kind of stuff but the people who are in 
downtown Calgary and downtown Empton, well, those are the horses, right? You know, yeah. uh, this is it's the same situation with, with, with the wolves, but yeah. what wolves are big for us because they're you can't do anything, right? They're federally do you protected. More? Do, you, no. do you want more? We, we oh, already, we'll we, we already ruined, uh, we ruined we uh, ruined Montana and Wyoming and, and Idaho with the, with the ones we got. <laughs> yeah, no, we we have like it's uh, it, it is crazy to watch the animals thin out when wolves move in, and it's uh, we have quite the population around here, and I, I mean I've been sitting on a meeting and looking out the window, and I've got two juvenile wolves sitting out in the hayfield staring at my animals and what do you do yeah. <laughs> it's and there, there's nothing we there's nothing we can do and the do you not have the right the, to defend your livestock we do but it would be a pretty big pain in the butt you really? know i had that i had that conversation with the bear right because i called the dnr i called the department of natural resource i'm like hey here's the deal this bear it's taken out our bees it's up around the barn. It's sniffing around the animals. If it doesn't go away, I'm going to shoot it. So what do I need to do to not get in trouble? It's like, well, what have you done? I'm like, well, I've done a lot of things, but how do I not get in trouble? And the answer was, there's really not a way to not have it be a pain in the ass. So it's, it's uh, and wolves are even more complicated because that's a federally protected animal. Oh, if see, black... it's so different here. Like bear on, on private land, I can shoot every bear that I see on any of my private land. Yeah. Um, on my trap line, uh, I'm allowed six a year on uh, oh, out on wow. the trap line. Uh, wolves are un, uncontrolled. and I mean, I can kill as yeah. many as I, as I want to. Um, coyotes on private land, you can, you can, uh, there is a trapping season for coyote, but uh, you can shoot them year round on private land with yeah. permission. Uh, that kind of stuff so yeah, yeah. It, we can do we, we just can't touch the wolves it's terrible though when that that i call it ballot box biology you know it was yeah. the same way that they that they got rid of uh the grizzly hunt in bc i mean they phonied up this bs story that there was only fifteen thousand grizzly bear in in bc which is still a lot of grizzly bear but but in actual fact, that's probably a quarter to a third of the true number. And uh, so now, now there are more grizzly bear being killed as problem bears every year by government uh, paid uh, uh, fish and wildlife officers than, than there were being hunted. And nobody's getting any benefit from it. But they're okay with this. You know, like yeah. the, 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 uh, the uh, NDP government there is 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 okay with with, with those uh, situations, and I just don't understand how how you can be okay with that. Why, you know, you could be be so popular by you know those animals have to be taken care of. Well, you should have you know a, a system in place where you can call the next hunter on the list, and and we've got a problem bear here. Come take care of it. I mean, they, they do that in in Africa for crying out loud with with yeah. hippos, crocodiles, and, and elephants. I mean, like are we not as advanced as Africa? You know what I mean? <laughs> well, even a step beyond that, because I asked the agent when I talked to him, I'm like, all right, so if I do shoot it, do you want me to take his pants off right away? Cause it was still warm. Right. So, I mean, you know that you shoot a bear when it's hot, you get the fur off right away. You get a lot of good meat. I'm like, do you want me to do that right away? So you can donate it to a food shelf. Does it? Nope. We just got to, like, you just have to waste it. Yep. So even like that makes 
so little sense when like you can purposefully use meat when it's at, like if you're not keeping it for yourself like that that's one thing right i'm going to yeah. shoot this i'm going to keep the hide i'm going to do this keep myself but if you shoot it you prepare it to donate it to someone else there's nothing in it for you no. you're not keeping the hide you're not keeping the meat you're taking care of a problem and you're you're helping someone else sustain well same situation we got here but but it's cougar and cougar have made a giant comeback i mean they're they're predators so they follow the deer right the deer yeah. have uh uh the mule deer and and uh white-tailed numbers are very very high and so they come out of the mountains they follow down all, all the river valleys that now i have cougar on my trap line a long ways away from from uh the mountains where cougar is supposed to be it's a lot of probably have uh between 50 and 80 cougar that are caught by trappers every year and they show up on your on your bait piles. Usually, it's the young and the old. Okay, yeah. the, the, so they'll show up in the bait pile. They they can't make it on their own any, anymore, and and you'll catch them in a wolf snare, that kind of stuff. We can't keep them, so we turn them over to the to the government, and they incinerate them. Like, what kind of reason does that mean? They say, "Well, we don't want you targeting them." Well, well I'm not targeting them, but I'm not stopping wolf trapping either. You yeah. know, I'm not, I'm not, we use lethal snares and, and when they walk in, it's a, it's a done deal. I mean, I, I can do it year after year after year after year and, and you have to turn in those, those cougars and, you know, why can't I keep it? <laughs> you yeah. know, like, I mean, what difference does it make? My son, the, the first, I don't know, he's got three, four now. Um, and, uh, you know, he's offered each time to, to skin the hideout, prepare it for, uh, uh, you know, for taxidermy, it, it could be made into a rug, it could be tanned or whatever, and and to clean the skull and all that, and donate it to a to a school or whatever. Nope. Yeah, just it's it's wastefulness, like you said, ballot ballot box biology. Yeah, you know, you you, you talked about snares. Getting back to a little bit, uh, um, you did an epi or a, a quick little video on lights out snaring, Corey Grover, yep. right? So I'm like, oh, I'm super intrigued. Reached out to Corey, super helpful. Like immediately it got me what I needed. I've referred like three, four people to him and he just like immediate response. That's one of the things like this community, like I said, you reached out, Corey, willing to help anyone. Um, there's other channels like the Hoosier guys, Justin and Charlie. Yep. You can call this. Everyone is willing to help. So Anyone wanting to get into this, you know, we've gone all over the place, but back to trapping, it's, it's really easy because there's really smart people who want more people doing this. So like you look at me, I'm a dumbass. I just wander around the woods and like, Hey, how do I trap something? And I figured <laughs> it out. I'm not the best at it, but the only reason I'm any, like there's any level of decency to what I do is because of guys like you. So thanks for doing that. Well, thank you. Um, part of when we started this was to defend trapping. And I realized right away that I was going to break one of the tenant rules of, of trappers. And I was going to tell, I was going to tell the secrets and yeah. you got to understand where I'm from. I mean, I have my trap line and nobody else can trap it but me. I don't have any competition there. So I can tell you what I do there. You're never going to trap it. I mean, I'm not giving away anything, you know I mean? I'm sure maybe maybe 
uh, I won't catch you on on Martin or whatever. You'll catch more using my own tactics, but whatever. But we have to we have to spread that knowledge. And part of the part of it was was you know the the best way to teach anything, whether it's kids fishing, the best way to to, to teach a kid how to fish is for him to catch a fish, right? Like Absolutely. A, slip, a slip bobber, right? Or or those or that that very visual spinnerbait coming across the top of the water. Boom. You've got a kid who's who who who's caught on on fishing, and it was the same thing with with trying to teach the you know the ethics uh, of modern trapping. Uh, you know the uh, uh, a heat disagreement for you know um, being uh, you know what they consider now humane trapping, and that was was the fact that we had to show that one how it was set up, how it was successful, and. In in between, Long carried the, the that story of 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 the humane side of it, right? Because we were shut out of uh, out of Europe. A lot of people don't understand that, but they shut yeah. us out of out of Europe in eighty in the eighties, and, and that was our major market. That was before the rise of Asia and China, and uh, Europe was was our major market. We were shut right out, and so we said to them, they said, you know, this isn't humane, and and this is they they said, well. Tell us what humane is. Define humane. So they laughed, and they defined humane, never thinking that we'd ever ever meet it. Well, we did. We actually exceeded it. And then, really? so there, yeah. Well, there was original. Uh, the original stuff came in in uh, in eighty seven. Was the original first time we had certified traps, and then there were ninety two. We had another uh, an upgrade, uh, tightened a few things up. But since since uh, people understand you know what humane trapping is it has made a big difference once again we're we're rebranding trapping right uh, absolutely we're, we're, yeah you know we're getting rid of the old impression of of the the animal sitting there and and you know um having chewed off his foot or or, or whatever in in the old leg holds now they're now they're footholds they're designed not to damage they're designed not to allow the foot to to freeze they're just being held in place my own dogs have have been caught in my in my footholds on uh, yeah yeah you know the, the the one most of them only need to get caught once the the one one a couple of times the neighbor's lab is the dumbest dog ever <laughs> I, I, two winters ago there was four times i walked out i, I got so i had to check every morning you know like because because that dog would be out there they, they'd let him out at night and and you know i know the dog would be out there and then hey you go up there and you walk hey how's it going jasper his name was jasper <laughs> and you know walk up and i pet jasper and i just get my feet on the on the foothold and i just open it up and jasper would be fine to go and never never had a limp never i don't even know that my neighbor knew how many times he's been caught you know so i mean we had to had to you know combine both the message and 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 the the fun and the success and all that kind of stuff but the whole idea was was to try and normalize things you know yeah you know, it was just it was the, one of those those situations where you know you as a trapper now yourself and you understand you know the whole value of that pelt that that mink or that martin or whatever that you've caught is the pelt yeah. why would you ever attempt to skin one alive like <laughs> yeah you know I yeah mean, it makes that, no sense and we, we and we we allowed that to be foisted on us because we thought it was so retarded right we just thought it yeah flat out that that was just the most ridiculous thing ever that we never bothered fighting about it and we should have we allowed those yeah. that 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 language to be carried on w w without without fighting it and i mean it's stupid 
But Rich, look at the nature of a trapper, the traditional nature of a trapper. Where do they reside? Who do they talk to? What do they want to do? They don't want to fight that stuff. They want to disappear in the woods yep. and go chase animals. Yep. Yeah, so, oh, they're very loners by by nature, that kind of stuff. Exactly. And and I mean, their whole idea was was just to disappear, right? And to hide. And we've proven that over and over again that that hiding never solves anything. You know, yeah, you absolutely. you have to you have to get it out in front and, and address it. It's exciting though to to be able to to, to talk to to people like you that, that that have actually made that conscious effort to to step forward. So in one way, technology made this possible for you. Yeah, is isn't that a a, a crazy conundrum? You're you're going Absolutely. back to the wild, but because you have Starlink, you can do it. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. No, it's. <laughs> You know, thank you, Elon Musk. It's, yeah. uh, it, but even now with, with the ability to have Starlink in a vehicle, right? So we want to acquire a place in Alaska. So we we want to go back and forth. Like I said, a Saturday for us, we don't care. We'll jump in the car and drive eight, 12 miles and then drive or eight, 12 hours and turn around, do eight, 12 hours back. We don't care. We'll do it on a Friday. We'll work from the vehicle. So the, it's just freed up to have such a such such a unencumbered lifestyle that it just stress can melt away, right? Because it, yeah. it can be easy and you can do things that you want. Like you look at my job, you know, I type probably 100 words in a day. Everything else is I'm on the phone talking to people. That oh, that's cool. all it is. I can I can do that anywhere. I can do that anywhere in the world. As long as I have some some level of a signal, yeah, and uh, the ability to get to an airport. So, but, you know, and then it's wrapping all of it together. You know, one of our favorite shows we like to watch, have you ever watched Happy People? No, a Year in the Taiga? No, so I think I it's not. on, I think it's on Amazon Prime right now, but it follows uh, trappers in Siberia in the Taiga for oh, okay. a year. Yeah. Yeah. And like these guys were dropped off in the seventies and they forgot about them. They didn't bring them anything. Like it's super <laughs> interesting. Oh, and it would be. Oh yeah. And, but just to see, like trying to, it's the same, but it's different. You want to emulate how they feel, how they act, but we have a completely different existence, but in some way you like, you just want to be as simple as them because they're truly happy just with what they have, what they're doing and what, you know, what is possible in their life. Making a pair of skis just changes their life. Yeah. How simple is that? Like, those, yep. those small things, just stripping it back. That's that's something that we've made a very conscious decision to do. Like you can probably see in the background, we go from, you know, a few thousand square foot house in the cities to what's my footprint, 30 by 40 in a log house yeah. with a basement. Very yeah. small footprint, very simple. Now shit piles up. You find out how much stuff you really do accumulate <laughs> when, uh, when you have less room, but it's, uh, no, it's, this has been such a positive change for us and like legitimately thank you for opening our eyes to it. Well, I can't take credit for it. I mean, somebody would have done it. You, it was there. It was always there in, in front of you. It was just, you know, or in you and it was just looking for sunshine and, and water. That, that, that was, that was all. It, yeah. But it was the trigger. It was tra like, it started with trapping Martin. And oh, cool. once we did it, <laughs> we're just like, this is awesome. And then just expanding from there. Then beavers, otters, coyotes, just going, going, going. And all of a sudden it's like, shit, we got to move north. 
you're you're very fortunate that you where you where you live in Minnesota that you have access to that. The folks that I hear from from Kansas and that kind of stuff is like, oh my god, oh, like, oh that is tough, you know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like I said, you look at us; we can go in our backyard, and it's all state land, it's all forest land, like it's all public. We go to Red Lake. I'm sure you fished Red Lake yep. uh, at Red Lake before. The bog there. I have a buddy who's got a place there. And we've got just thousands and thousands of acres. That's some of our best martin trapping up there. Yeah. It's and and bobcat, and it's just it's so accessible and so easy. And there's trails everywhere. So yeah. it just makes life easy. And here's the thing: you don't run into like I don't run into other people's traps. I don't see, I don't run across anyone else's sets, no matter where I go. There's that few people out doing it. So if you like to get out, you like to do something on your own and just, like I said, drive around. Hey, there's an otter toilet. There's a slide. There's a beaver lodge. Drop a pin, look it up. Everything's so easy on Onyx, right? Once again, being simple, getting away from tech, but here's tech tech that helps. Onyx changed the game because I'm driving and I see something. Oh, state land. I'm going to go trap an otter. Like it's just it, it the simplification of knowing what you can do and where you can do it makes this hobby really easy because you don't have to go to a plat book fight like yeah yeah stress comes when you set on someone's land and you don't have property and you're out there checking it and that person comes up that's never a good conversation you want to have well and I mean whenever it gets too complex that's just that's a yeah. that's a big turnoff the fact that you that you can take care of it yourself. You know, like uh, Onyx works. Onyx doesn't work up here because yeah. they, they just don't have nothing north north of the 49th. But uh, I I know what you mean. I, I know exactly what you mean. Like all of Alberta ha- has uh, mapping in that. My I have my um, in my GPS and uh, in my uh, in reach uh, I have the outline of my trap line, and oh, so nice. I always know where I am. I'm, I always yeah. know know exactly where I am and, and that I'm on my line and and that kind of stuff. But the, the technology has made that even the ability to get around. Yes, you know, we did a, a podcast way back when, and the, the old gentleman died last year. But when he was, I think he was 14 and in grade eight or whatever, he went to, um, he went to the to the bush for the winter and started to become a trapper. And he lived in a, in a lean to, and he trapped off of snowshoes and all that kind of stuff. And, and, uh, you get talking to him and, and you ask him, you know, different questions and that. And then about three years or so afterwards, his, uh, his sister, uh, her husband gave, gave him a, a snowmobile to borrow. And my wife was talking with him and, and she says, well, well, that's really cool. Then you, 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 your line could be so much bigger. And, and he says, well, no, he says, he says, it was, I didn't have to pack those, all those animals back on my shoulder. And you <laughs> not even thinking for a second. Think about that. Think yeah. About that. If you got a coyote or you got a lynx or whatever, that's all in his back until he gets it back to the, the lean to to thaw out and, and, and to skin and everything. Right. Yeah. He has a good day. Even... That's just more work. Yeah. <laughs> We don't even think about that, you know, like, I mean, it it wasn't, wasn't the fact that he could, you know, for us, uh, uh, a machine or or access or whatever, just means we can travel further. We're never thinking about the fact that all that fur came out on his back. Yeah. Like, Like, think about that, that if you have a successful day and 
you're two miles in, three miles in, four miles in by snowshoe, and you have to carry that back, you get to a point where it's like, oh, shit, I caught another one. Yeah. <laughs> I've had days like that where the, where the 12-foot toboggan was was getting really yeah. overloaded. But I remember one day I had I had four wolves and, and uh, five water and and uh, seven seven links like i mean i had wow. had a, and i mean it just it was just heaped you know like, <laughs> <laughs> the little snowmobile was revving skis were coming off the ground and, and it was wet one of those days when you get that wet snow and so that wet snow piles in there and i don't know what that toboggan weighed i wouldn't doubt it was well with the with the wolves in it alone uh, the bigger ones would have been 100 pounds so you know there, there was there was probably 300 pounds of wolves alone you know yeah. But that's crazy yeah yeah well you know what we have talked for two hours here buddy and, uh... <laughs> sorry <laughs> <laughs> no this is perfect i really enjoy this we've had a long hiatus here uh people just got so grumpy when as covid was ending and we couldn't get any more people to come back on and do do zoom calls and all that and, and i just got used to not doing it and, and it's it, it was uh, uh a bit to to get organized again and realize that i'd let my zoom <laughs> account expire and all that stuff <laughs> <laughs> but it's yeah. awesome here once again here's technology allowing us to do this and, and, and to spread the word that that is, that is great do you uh guys uh do you have a uh a website where you you cover your your adventures yeah. or yeah so we're at our view outdoors o-u-r view outdoors so we uh we've got it like we do things like roamies we do we document road trips we we do documentation of what we do. It comes back to, we had grand aspirations when we started doing this, but it came down to, I want to have more fun than yep. I do turn this into a job. So we do a lot of interesting things from exotic animals to, um, to Amanda's ability to, to cook and her recipes to just the random trips that we take. It's uh it's pretty interesting. So it's worth a look, but that's not why I'm on here. I wasn't here to shamelessly promote us. Nope. Legitimately here to to thank you for what uh, <laughs> for what you, Rick and Cindy, are yeah, doing Cindy. for uh, <laughs> doing for everyone and for the uh, sport of trapping. And and also, uh, so many people have moved out on acreage. Just the knowledge that can be gained of what can be accomplished by having a hive of bees by just the simple gardening techniques, the things that you're coming into now yeah. can have an even bigger effect on people because more people are apt to do that than to actually get out in the woods and trap an animal. The the bees and, and, and the chickens and that, like, I mean, people find out that you have chickens and ducks that right now with chickens and duck, duck eggs are, 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 are so expensive for that. And, uh, you know, you can buy chicken eggs for me cheaper than you can buy them at the store. And, and people are just like, they, they're blown away. Like that's, yeah. they're, they're right there. You know, people just have no concept. You know, I was born in a time where we all, like I was 18 before I ever ate beef. You know, I mean, we, we lived off a of wild game and all that kind of stuff. And to see the world have changed that much in my lifetime where, where people don't even know what, where food comes from or anything else anymore. I didn't think that would ever happen in Northern Alberta. That alone happened yeah. in that little bit of time. Yeah. You know? No, so good job documenting it. We appreciate it and keep going. 
Well, and I, I appreciate this this tonight. This has been awesome. I'll have it up in a few days' time. Uh, we'll uh, get get it up on uh, some of it anyway. Maybe all of it up on YouTube. I just uh, I, I want to want to get pumping this back uh, out there again. I'm going to get a, back a hold of you, and uh, I, I want to get the information on on your lettuce, your tower of lettuce, or whatever it was. Yeah, called it's there. called a, it's called a farm stand, and it's just lettucegrow.com. Now they're not cheap. Like it's like a grand, which is what's that thirty two thousand Canadian? Yeah, about uh, that. Yeah. <laughs> don't so, forget shipping. Shipping would be oh, another true. ten or twelve grand. <laughs> no, but, but it's I, once again, I'm going back to being a hippie. But it's made out of recycled ocean plastic, and like you, it, it's ridiculous the quality of the of the lettuce that you get out of it, and peppers and uh, strawberries. Like I'm like that's not my jam, but I. I I go nuts now, like when we don't have it. We also grow microgreens too now because it's just so, I'm getting old. I've already had, like, I'm the guy who gets a colonoscopy once a year because I've already had a bad one. So if I want to make it past, I got a year and a half till 50. So I'm like, ah, should probably change some things up. You know, kids are old enough. I'm looking forward to grandkids. (laughs) All these, all these things, like, it's just easy. Microgreens. Fresh vegetables. You know, I mean, I, I'm I'm uh, very much a meditarian, but I, I love a balanced diet. Um, I'm just a couple of months away from my first new hip, and uh, we just got to take care of it. You know what I mean? But like I said, yeah. when I when I left the farm, you can have too much of a good thing. When I when I left the farm, I swear I would I would starve to death in a field of blueberries before I'd ever pick another one. And this year we've got we're we're, we're planting a whole bunch of blueberries. <laughs> freaking strawberries were labor my grandparents would pick me up they're like hey come on let's go to the lake and be like oh sweet and guess what's right at the turn before we go to our lake freaking strawberry patch or we're gonna stop in here so we can sit on a chair and watch your little ass pick strawberries all day (laughs) (laughs) oh but it was awesome i mean when you look at it back and now it was awesome right (laughs) that i mean that's just it and you know i where are we still recording we're done i mean we're still recording i I look at you know there's like i talk about my dad a lot and the things that we did my mom was a freaking savage like dad would go out of town to work mom would milk like there there's me and my mom she one day she flipped over a wheelbarrow rusty as hell split her stomach wide open goes to the neighbors gets a butterfly like just puts a butterfly bandage goes back to work milking never goes to the doctor and like that's just the work ethic like you just being around that you can't help but morph into that at some level like because i'm the same way as you i can work harder than anyone i'm not i'm not the smartest guy but i'll find a way to figure stuff out and and honestly if it wasn't for her i was such a dipshit that I had a basic training date for the Air National Guard in August, and I sloughed off my last quarter of high school. I was two credits short. My mom goes, you're not missing basic training. And she did the schoolwork for the summer school that made me take the test so I, she could ship my ass to basic training. God bless mothers. <laughs> All right, but I better let you get going. I've taken up too much of your night. <laughs> oh, it was perfect. Thank you very much. And I uh, hope everybody else enjoyed our, our rantings, ramblings, and where we've been. Uh, watch for this uh, both on Locals, and uh, like I can say we'll probably get up on YouTube too. Take care. Good night.